Welcome to Black Bottom Saints with Alice Randall. I'm your host, Alice Randall. Each episode of this podcast will explore the life of a particular saint in the novel Black Bottom Saints, the rich history of Detroit's Black Bottom neighborhood, what the Detroit past has to tell us about the global future, and end with a cocktail recipe. This podcast is for people who have and have not read Black Bottom Saints. Join me to talk about the play between history and fiction and how one informs the other. I hope a stop here is a little like meeting up with a talkative stranger in the lobby of Detroit's fabled Gotham Hotel. This episode, I want to introduce you to Maxine Powell, who checked into the Gotham for a short visit and didn't move out until it was felled by the wrecking ball. She wasn't just Ziggy's friend and colleague, she was his neighbor. In this episode, I'm going to let you in on two secrets, how you can have a close encounter with Maxine Powell yourself, and the secret weapon I discovered that helped me bring Black Bottom to life that you can use to travel back in history and explore extraordinary Black American lives of the 20th century, the History Makers Archive. Yes, I did have a secret weapon researching Black Bottom Saints, the History Makers Archive. It's a digital treasure trove that includes over 10,000 hours of life interviews with significant African-American history makers. I think exactly 9,000 are fully processed and 11,000 are soon to be, but there's approximately 10,000 hours of life interviews in the can. It was established in 1999 and led by Julia Richardson since its inception. The History Makers features 2,701 people, and one of them is Black Bottom Saint, Maxine Powell. Another, I am proud to say, is me. The first interviews were conducted in 1993 before the archive even officially existed. Maxine Powell's interview was recorded in January of 2005, eight years before her death, and actually several years after my interview, which was done midlife. Hers was done at the end of the life. To introduce you to Maxine in the archive, I have the distinct pleasure of hosting today on the podcast, Juliana Richardson, the founder and CEO of the History Makers Archive a distinguished graduate of Harvard Law School and a citizen of Chicago, Ziggy's hometown and a place where Maxine lived for a long time. Welcome, Juliana. You graduated from Harvard Law School. How did you get from law to founding the archive? Well, I often tell the story that I was a young young person, age nine, growing up in a small town and uh, near Columbus, Ohio, where I was the only black kid in my class. And the teacher asked us to talk about our family backgrounds and everybody knew them and they were raising their hands and I'm sitting cowering in the corner, not knowing what to say. And I said, you know, 
um, something that I was part Negro, French. I added in French because my father had been stationed to France. But to make a long story short, I, I did end up going. I, my background was originally in theater. I'd done oral history interviews as a young college student uh, where I found myself in New York Schomburg's library. And then um, I was practicing corporate law. I went to Harvard Law School, and as you said, and graduated. And then I, I um, was really didn't want to practice. I wanted to represent people in the theater and the arts. But there I was in this law firm, and um, and sort of politics. Anyway, went on to become cable administrator for the city, and then politics had me out. And those interviews I had done as a young college student, where I'd interviewed people like Butterfly McQueen, um, who had starred in Gone with the Wind, and and tap dancer Honey Coles and the oldest living black actor Lee Whipper, and those stories came back to me. And what I would say is the connection with Harvard Law School is that I approached this as a lawyer would approach a case and um, went to really, I decided on my dining room table not having a job that I would you know, go back to the way I had felt when I learned that I had a, a history as a young college student, surrounded by the Jewish community who were very actively involved in not only the knowledge of the Holocaust, but the, the, the promulgating of that history. And so those two things combined, meaning that I had found found myself and the, the work that I had done as a young college student. And I want to, as a lawyer, also young college student as a lawyer. And another story added on is that I had had, I had started a home shopping channel, which a lot of times stops people in their tracks, but a lot of the discipline with the backend processing and being able to take a massive project, video project and move it forward. All those things combined to, to the beginning of the history makers. Well, I love that it started with your eight year old self, not really having the information to answer a teacher and to stand in your classroom and hold your space with your white peers because no one had held your history up for you adequately. And I will connect that to the Home Shopping Network. It's wild that now through your work, eight-year-olds across America, if they know about the History Makers Archive, have access to their history and our shared history when I was researching and writing Black Bottom Saints, I had three major resources, my own memory, Ziggy's columns, and the History Makers archives. Almost all the saints in Black Bottom Saints are featured somewhere in the archives, whether they are directly interviewed or are discussed by people who are interviewed. Many of them appear in the lives of multiple history makers. Maxine Powell, gave one of the great history maker interviews. What stands out for you most about the Maxine Powell interview? Oh, so much stands out. Um, and I wanna say first, um, Alice, I mean, first of all, I consider you one of the most brilliant people that exist here. And what you do and the, 
the literary realm to bring our stories alive. What you've done with Black Bottom States is just really, Saints is really brilliant. And I just want to thank you for that because we can do all the collecting we want to do of the stories, but it's it's people like yourself, both in the classroom and the literary world, that are real, you know, will allow us to transform and make people really aware of the richness that exists across the Black community. But when we talk about Maxine Powell, who uh, we interviewed on January 1st, 2005. Um, she was the etiquette manager, that's a not uh, elegant way of saying it, for Motown. But what I thought was really amazing because we're, we're based here in Chicago is how Chicago uh, based she was before she went off to the big town of Detroit. The fact that, you know, she was taught as a young age etiquette and refinement, which was a thing that was taught in the black community among, you know, proper people or well-raised people or well-mannered people, um, that she, you know, studied with the Negro Drama League and Sammy Dwyer, who, you know, had a dance studio. Lots and lots and lots of celebrities came through Sammy Dyer. Um, and that she then went off, you know, this whole thing of the Gotham Hotel, you know, this 200-room, nine-story um, hotel that she had never seen the likes of and tells detailed stories about, you know, going there and then end up staying for a long time and end up um, making Detroit her home. And then out of that comes the Temptations and the Supremes and Martha Reeves and the Vandellas and all the people who came. And it's just, it's really fascinating to me because I also recently, um, you know, in the, the person, Andre Harrell, who uh, was head of um, Uptown, um, tried to do the same thing. And Harriet Cole was his Maxine Powell, but in a whole kind of hip hop you know, new way. But I just, I mean, she she was really amazing. And the organization that Barry, uh, Barry Gordy and his family uh, put in order to really transform the world as Detroit has. One of the things I love about the archives is all the crosstalk. We don't just get to hear what Maxine Powell says about herself. And I love what you just were talking about, that there's so much of her descriptions of living in the Gotham Hotel. And if you guys go into the archive, you can hear Maxine herself talking about it. We also get to hear what other people say about her in the archive. For example, oh. she's mentioned in the Martha Reeves interview, in the Norma Fairhurst interview, in Mary Wilson's interview, and Mildred Arbor's interview, just to name a few. Do you think multiple perspectives are a particular strength of the History Makers Archive? It is a particular strength, and it was what the archive at its best um, would do, is the intersectionality of these stories to emerge a new and more accurate history. Right now, and I was just, I got back from Miami uh, yesterday doing an interview of a business leader named Ira Hall. And I, and that's what I was telling them that now I'm mandating that when we do interviews, 
that we actually use our digital archive. That's a very strong primary source because we will find things that you can't find in other places, but it's the intersectionality of those stories that really emerge a new and more accurate history. You have multiple voices who can confirm what the history was. Eartha Kitt and Della Reese, both Black Bottom Saints, are also people that you have worked with extensively the archive. Can you talk about them? Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> I mean, Della Reese, um, you know, who we actually, um, we honored both of them. Della Reese and the richness of her history, you know, being one of the first Black females to have a show on TV talking about, you know, opening up. Um, in Vegas and what that was, because at the time that we actually interviewed her, she was known uh, for the TV series um, Touched by an Angel, uh, which became a very popular series. And she was also a minister. And, you know, if you look in the in the archive, there's Do Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman, who was her mentor. In, in her entree into the ministry. So there, there's that in Eartha Kitt. Oh my God, what can I say about Miss Eartha? There's so much I can say about her. Um, now you honored her with the, both of you had a special evening with both of those people. We had a special watch evening with both of them. And Eartha, when we had the evening with, with her, she had, um, had a cancer, um, which I thought that had been totally in remission. And here she is 81 years old and literally she dies uh, four months after we um, have an evening with Eartha Kitt, which is the last recorded performance and interview. And she dies on Christmas day when one of the songs she's known for is Santa Baby. But to tell, I mean, that evening when she came out on that stage and put her foot, her leg all the way up, doing things which people a quarter of her age could not do, telling her amazing story of, of her childhood, which was, you know, of mixed race, but not really knowing, you know, if her aunt was really her mother and and um, and the relationship between also and there's there's comment about this in the digital archive she and Catherine Nunham did not get along and she often attributed to Catherine Dunham who was known as the creator of black dance in this country you know there's there's stories and they're talking about their friction that are not told by Eartha or Catherine Dunham, who we also interviewed. Um, to her, I love band. that crosstalk because there is so much great discussion by other people of this conflict that both of these other women, Eartha and Catherine Dunham, are silent on. But in the crosstalk of the archive, the story emerges. That's right. So it's really pretty amazing. And then, you know, when she was banned for that whole time speaking out about the, the war, you know, with, um, uh, President Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson, and and yet her comeback, you know. And then you even have people like Gwen Ifill and Sherilyn Ifill, who we know Gwen Ifill from the media, Sherilyn, her cousin who just is stepping down as soon as head of uh, the National um, uh, Legal Defense Fund. All that happening, the, Gwen Ifill's parent, they loved, their fathers loved Eartha Kitt. And so you hear that those stories being told in the archive. 
How would an individual citizen get access to the archives and be able to watch the interviews? I know the main accesses are to colleges, universities, and libraries, but what is available to your average citizen just listening to this podcast anywhere around the world? Sure. If those who are in the cities of um, New York, Los Angeles, Detroit, Philadelphia, um, Houston, Texas, the Chicago, they, they can get it free of charge through the public library. So they don't, as long as they have a public library or code, they can go and access it like anyone at one of our subscribing institutions. If they do not have that and want to um, um, get access, it's a fee, a small fee of $30 a month. Only they can only they only have to sign up for one month, and it'll give them full access to um, now nine thousand hours of testimony, and will be growing to eleven thousand hours of testimony. So that's all they need to do, and and we hope that um, your listening audience will also step forward to help us in any way because this is a collective project of people helping us even identify people that we should interview. There's uh, the most famous tap dancer, um, uh, Jenny Lagan, um, really self-identified herself. And yet her collection is in the Smithsonian Museum, but she lived in, you know, um, British uh, Columbia. And that's how we uh, came to know of her. So we we're still a project that's still very much in creation. History is already always being created. We are very much a 20th century moving into the 21st century. But we also believe that if we do not properly record and and understand the 20th century around the Black experience, that we are missing out on huge swaths of American history. Was there that wonderful Sankofa, to look backward, to move forward? Juliana, thank you for joining us. I know it's a very busy day. You just come back from doing interviews down in Florida. I want to encourage listeners, if they know of someone they think should be in the archive, to go to the History Makers website and uh, email them with that suggestion. I also want to say that there are snippets available if they just go to the website, to the general public that you could just access from your uh, computer that take you to some of the highlights in all of these extraordinary stories. Thank you. Our website is www.thehistorymakers.org, O-R-G. Thank you very much, Alice. When I think about the strengths of this archive, the one that emerges to me most tenderly as a novelist is that it allows people the opportunity to talk about small moments, saving money for vacation, hearing your name called over the loudspeaker at your high school, the smells of your grandmother's kitchen that make up a life but are often not documented. These small moments allow us to center intimate events, personal expression, everything that is not public, everything that is not controlled by majority culture. It allows us to center and see femininity, black community. It allows us to see black community as a neighborhood of wildly different and specific people 
who share a variety of significant themes and a profound singular challenge based on race, but are also vividly human and individual. Because these life interviews are extensive. Some of them are three hours, some of them are six hours, some of them are nine or 12 hours long. As we bend towards a close, I wanna play you a little snippet of the Maxine Powell interview. One of my favorite sections of her interview involves a discussion she had with a family member about vacations and about being two-faced. Another was about saving money. And that's the first one I'm going to play for you right here. My girlfriend and I had the apartment. I, apartment. I never tried to outdo anybody or to live. I always knew how I was going to pay my bills. See? And I always managed well. I never overspent. To see? And I don't do that today. I can save up if I need $2,000 or whatever I need or 100 or whatever, I just put away $5, $10 or something. And when I had my first apartment uh, with a refrigerator, I bought one where you put a quarter in a, a day. And then at the end of the month, you had the payment. I did all kinds of things like that. These small moments, the opportunity to talk about saving money for vacation, these small moments, as I said, center intimate events, personal expression, everything that is not public, not controlled by majority culture. It allows us to center and see an individual woman saving up to buy a refrigerator one quarter at a time. When I was writing Black Bottom Saints, Maxine's literal voice was in my head because of the History Makers archive. In the long interview, the History Makers interviews go on for hours. People tell stories they don't usually tell. They tell secrets. Let me now play you one more little secret that she has. Oh, boy. Uh, it's May 30th. Uh, do I have to give you the year? I'm well, not ready to do that right now. It would be the good reason if, okay. is, mm -hmm. is that I have a couple of things I want to do. In America, age is such a, a, a problem. And I don't, um, uh, I, I, I never mention my name, my age. And I've got a couple of things that I want to do. And then I'm going to announce it because I don't look my age. Okay. So I was just wondering if I could hold off on that. Well, you could, but uh, th this uh, interview is not for broadcast or anything, so it goes into a library. It's not going to be on the air or anything, so oh, nobody, I see. the public wouldn't know necessarily. Uh -huh. Well, anyway, 1915. 1915. Maxine Powell was famous for not telling her age, but with the history maker, she tells it and gives more than the number. She gives witness to the ambitions of her later years and the ageism she had held against her. She wasn't functioning at the intersection of black and female. She was functioning at the intersection of black, female and old. And she was thriving and helping others thrive by teaching them to unmask, to show and share their authentic self, an authentic self 
who it defines beauty informed by their evolving form, visibly human. An authentic self who redefines beauty informed by their own evolving form, visibly human. Libation for the feast day of Maxine Powell, Fun House Mira. This excellent punch like Maxine's young stars that she got ready for the Motown stage, the Temptations and the Supremes require significant advanced preparation. Three bottles of Tokeji wine, one cup of brandy, three ponies, green chartreuse, one jigger Jamaican rum, one cup of fresh peaches, one cup of fresh pineapple, three oranges, sliced for garnish, two lemons sliced for garnish. In a vessel large enough to contain all the ingredients, but small enough to fit in your refrigerator, place all the above ingredients. Cover with plastic wrap and refrigerate for at least six hours. When ready to serve, prepare a punch bowl with one huge ice cube. This can be done by freezing water in a gallon container, a water jug. Strain punch from refrigerator into punch bowl. Dress the ice with the fruit. Serve using a ladle into punch glasses. Next week, we'll be talking about Mark Step. Until then, keep zagging with Ziggy and always remember joy is radical. If you want a new way to visit Black Bottom, poke around on and in the History Makers Archive. I am Alice Randall, and this is the Black Bottom Saints podcast. This podcast was produced by Chelsea Crowell and Aaron McAnally. The theme from Black Bottom Saints was written and recorded by Lewis York. Nashville Women Blues was recorded by Reese Palmer and written by Bessie Smith. The novel Black Bottom Saints is published by Amistad, HarperCollins, and is available at your favorite bookstore and on Audible. Find out more at alicerandall.com. Drinks and lots of booze You can